This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Well, I want to pray and then put on your scuba gear because we're going to dive deep into some Bible today. So just get ready. Uh, It's going to be in the wet zone. It's going to be really exciting. But let's pray first and invite God to speak or else it's just a whole lot of words. Lord, would you guide us? Would you lead us? Would you show us what you have for us? Would you take these words that I'm about to share and uh, maneuver them, use them, place them in the hearts, in the minds, in the lives of each of my friends who's here tonight, so that we would take the information into our hearts and then out through our hands and our feet so we could experience the life that you created us for. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, many of you probably heard this story about the man who was shipwrecked on an island. Uh, I've told some of you this story before. It's a horrible thing. A man shipwrecked on an island, and he starts to pray because he's a believing man. He says, Lord, I need some help. I need to get off this island. You know, I'm, I'm stuck here. I don't think anyone knows where I am. I need to get off this island. He's praying and praying and praying, and a, a helicopter comes by, and the guy says, hey, do you want some help? He's like, no, no, I'm cool. I'm praying. God's going to help me get off this island. And then a hot air balloon comes by. He's praying, God, get me off this island. And this lady in this hot air balloon says, hey, do you want, do you want some help getting off this island? He's like, no, no, it's okay. I'm praying. I got this covered. Thanks for the offer. And then a boat comes by. They're like, well, do you want to get on this boat and we can take you off the island? And the guy says, no. No, I'm praying. I'm, I'm, I got this covered. Thanks for asking, though. I'm a, I'm a person of faith, uh, so I'll be okay. Well, he dies because he's stuck on an island, and that's what happens when you're stuck on an island. You die. And he goes up to heaven, and he meets up with God, and he says, God, I'm so excited to be here, but I have to ask, I prayed for like days and days and days that you would rescue me. And God looked at him and said, I know. I sent you a helicopter and a boat and a hot air balloon. Why didn't you just get on? And that's a joke. That didn't really happen, to the best of my knowledge. But here's the deal. God wants us to take an active role in our life. And too often, those of us who say we are followers of Jesus, we miss that part of the story. We pray, we hope, we trust, and then things keep going bad, and we become observers in our life. We become passive in our life. And God called us to be world changers. God called us to be people of action. And I think it's a tragedy when Christian men and women sit on the sidelines. Those of us who are supposed to have this incredible joy because we know the living God and His Spirit's living in us, when we sit on the sidelines and we say, you know what, God, I'm just going to pray and you do whatever you're going to do out there, but I don't have an active role because the truth is you and I were called to stand up and stand for something great, something powerful, something beyond even our wildest dreams. We were called to take part in an amazing story. And that's why for the last year and for this next year coming up, we're doing what we're calling the Take Hold Initiative. It's a two-year journey, uh, basically with this as its foundation. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, to this young pastor named Timothy, he said, Timothy, I want you to take hold of the eternal life that you were called for. I want you to grab it. He said, listen, Timothy, you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, so you have your eternity sealed. You know what heaven's going to be like, but you've got a whole lot of living next to do, and I want you to take hold of the life that you were called to when you made that good confession in the presence of so many witnesses. You and I were called for something more than a passive life, than a mediocre life, than a life on the sidelines where we become bitter and disconnected and we're just waiting till the end comes. You and I were called to take God at his word, to take hold of the relationship that he offers us. 
to read the scripture and to let it come alive to us and to do what it says and then to follow his will and his plans for our lives. We're called to be people like Mother Teresa said once. She said, I am a pen in the hand of a writing God and my God is sending a love letter to the world. And so I'm just a pen in the hand of my God who's writing his love letter to the world. That's the kind of life that you were called for. That's the kind of life that I was called for, to be a, a pen in the hands of our God as he writes a love story to the world. See, you and I were called to take an active role in his story because history really is his story. And I know that sounds a little cheesy, but it's true. From creation until the end, it's God's story. He's writing it. He's orchestrating it. But he's called us to take an active role in it and to experience some incredible things as we do. Throughout the Bible and throughout history, we've seen stories of men and women who have taken God at his word, who have taken an active role, who have stepped up and said, God, I'm here. Use me however you want to. Do through me and do in me whatever you want to do in me. History books are full of these type of people. They're heroes. They're people we look up to. And the truth is, they're people that we're called to be. And the Bible's full of them. And I want to talk about one woman tonight who said to God, you know what? I'm going to take you at your word. I'm going to do what you said to do. And I'm going to live the kind of life you want me to live. And it's going to be dangerous. And I don't know how it's going to turn out. But in the end, I know that what you want for my life is better and bigger and more creative and more exciting than what I want for my life. And so I want what you want more than I want what I want. And this woman's name was Esther. And the story of Esther is found in the Old Testament of the Bible. It takes place about 480 years before Jesus came on the scene. And the Persian Empire is kind of this ruling empire, this ruling authority right now. And Xerxes is their king. And the Jewish people, and Esther is a Jewish person, the Jewish people were under the Persian Empire at this point. And this is a story in the book of Esther. And in this story, there are some main characters. There's the king. There's a guy named Mordecai. And Mordecai is a Jewish man who has adopted Esther into his family. There's Esther, who recently became the queen, because get this, and if you think the Bible's boring, you've got to read the story, because the old queen got booted out simply because the king got drunk one night, and he called for her, and she refused to come, so he just kicked her out. And so then he needed a new queen, because you can't be a king without a queen. Any guy who's married knows that, man. We've got to have our, our queen with us. And so they found this new queen. Esther became the new queen. And there's one other character, a guy named Haman. And Haman is our villain in this true story. See, Haman is the king's right-hand man. If we we're talking about it today, Haman would be like the prime minister. Uh, and Haman has this family feud, this nationwide feud with the Jewish people, with Mordecai. And so his people and Mordecai's people, the Jews, hate each other. Think Hatfields and McCoys going back like 10 or 15 generations. This is like a thousand-year feud that these two families have. So the minute that Haman gets into power, he decides, I'm going to eradicate the Jewish people from the face of the earth. We're going to have a genocide. And he goes about making that happen. He goes to the king. He lies to the king. He says a few things, and he gets the king to sign this edict. And this edict says that in a certain number of days, every single Jew is going to die. Mass genocide. Think extermination. Think Hotel Rwanda. Think Jewish genocide in the Holocaust. Every Jew gone. That sets the stage for the journey that we're going to talk about tonight. That sets the stage for this story of this woman who just became queen, saying, okay, God, whatever you want to do through me, I'm going to let you do. So here's where we're going to pick up the story. Mordecai finds out about what's about to happen, and so he goes to Esther's servant, and he says to the servant, go and give this message. And he gave him a copy of the edict 
which had been issued in Susa for the destruction, that he might show Esther and inform her to order her to give, to go into the king and to implore for his favor and to plead with him for his people. And Hathak, that's the name of the servant, Hathak came back and related Mordecai's words to Esther. Verse 10 says, Then Esther spoke to Hathak and ordered him to reply to Mordecai. All the king's servants and all the people of the king's province know that for any man or woman to come into the king, to the inner court who is not summoned, the king has one law, that that person be put to death, unless the king holds up his golden scepter so that he may live. She says, And I have not been summoned to come to the king for these 30 days. Now remember, Esther just became queen, and she became queen because the old queen got on the king's bad side. And she says, look, I can't go in there. There's one law. Anyone who goes into the inner courts without the king inviting them in, dead immediately. Unless the king puts out his scepter, which the king doesn't do a whole lot. And I don't want to die. I got a pretty good thing going for me. I just went from a nobody Jew to being the queen of the Persian Empire. I don't know that I really want to go in and do that. Even though I know it's probably the right thing to do. Because if I go in and do that, there's the possibility of some incredible cost to me. Now, have you ever been in a situation where you knew something you should do was the right thing, but you knew there was also a cost associated with it? How many times have those of us in this room been in a discussion with our husband or wife? And that's what we Christians call fights, okay? We have heated discussions. You know, how many times have you been in a passionate discussion with your spouse? And I mean really passionate. We're talking like 2 a.m. passionate discussion because we're discussing. We don't fight. We're discussing. How many times you've been in one of those discussions and you knew you were wrong? It came to light about hour two that you were pretty much wrong and didn't have a leg to stand on. I'm just asking. I've never had this situation with me, but have you ever had it? And you knew the right thing to do was just to say, I'm an idiot. I'm sorry. I did the wrong thing. I said the wrong thing. But if you did that, you were going to lose the upper hand in the relationship. So you kept on fighting. You kept on going. You kept on going. Or how many times have you been at work and the opportunity to move forward, to advance came, but there was some ethical gray area around it. It's not black and white, but there's a little bit of gray. And you know that if you just take the gray area, you'll advance the work. But if you don't, if you take the ethical road, take the high road, people will start murmuring about you. They'll start saying things about you and you might not get ahead. I remember uh, hearing a story about my dad. He didn't tell me this. I heard this years later. My dad's a principal. He's also one of my heroes. Which, by the way, dads, kids need heroes, and they're looking to us. My dad's one of my heroes. He's a principal. He was in a principal's meeting one day. And before the meeting started, a number of the principals were there, and they started talking about another principal who hadn't showed up yet, how he was having an affair with some other educator who also had a spouse in the district. And they're talking all about it. And they're going for it, and they're going for it. My dad had a decision to make. And he stood up, and he said, you know what? When we're ready to talk about our schools and the students, come and get me. I'm going to be out in the hallway because I'm not going to sit here and talk about these people behind their back. Who do you think got talked about behind their back next (laughs) when he walked out? But you know what? I had a principal come to me years later and tell me that story and how much that impacted them, that my dad took a stand for what was right, even though it could cost him. How many times have you felt that nudge from God? Those of us who have been around the church world for a while, God's saying, you need to go on a mission trip. And you felt that stirring, you felt that nudge, but there was a cost associated with it. A, a money cost, a time cost, 
a family cost, a vacation cost, a work cost. And so you thought, man, if I can just get through this nudging for the next two months till they stop announcing it, then the nudging will go away. See, we all have these nudgings, these urgings. We know the right thing to do. It's not that we don't know. It's that there's always or almost always a cost associated with it. And so we have to decide, are we going to do what we should do, even if it costs us? Because listen, choosing to take part in God's story will require some cost. But the cost of not taking part in his story, in my opinion, is even greater. It's a life that fades into existence. It's a life of mediocrity. It's a life of missed opportunities and missed expectations. And God wants so much more for us than that. He wants us to take hold of the life that he's called us to. Tomorrow, we're starting the beans and rice challenge that I laid out last week for us. And I know it's going to be eye-opening for a number of us, and I believe it could be life-changing for some of us. I don't think it's too strong to say that it could be life-changing. Here's what beans and rice is. The beans and rice challenge is this. For five days, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, five days, we are going to eat nothing but meals that have beans and rice as their main staple. And I laid this out for us last week, chapter and verse, so I'm not going to get too deep into it today. Five days, beans and rice as the main staple. We actually put together a recipe book, and we have a number of these in the back of the auditorium and out in the lobby. So if you missed it last week, you can grab one of these with like 20 different recipes that have beans and rice as their main dish. Um, by the way, we have one recipe in there that has meat as a fairly decent dish. Uh, that was an accident. I didn't mean to put that in there. But if you're like, I found a loophole, that's my meal. Three days a week for the next five days, okay, you know, you found the loophole. Or you can just mark it up. But you want to grab one of these. We're doing the beans and rice challenge for three key reasons. The first is to identify with over four billion people around the world that live on less than $2 a day and don't have the opportunity to eat the wide variety of foods that we do. We want to identify with them because many of them are followers of Jesus just like we are. And Jesus says they're our brothers and our sisters. And then we want to pray. We want to pray for what God's doing around the world. We want to pray for the church around the world, the Christians that are being hurt and persecuted and have lack of resources. And I'm going to send out some prayer information to you this week so you can be praying and have some information about who to pray for and what to pray for. And then third, we're going to try to raise $10,000 to build a church in southern India. Because we have a partnership with a number of churches and an orphanage and a school in southern India. And we found out that one of their church communities, when we were there a year and a half ago, one of their church communities has over 65 people in it meeting in a 10 by 20 square foot building. So actually, I've taped off, and some of you saw this last week, I taped off 10 by 20 square foot buildings uh, around the auditorium. There's some on the back walls there. There's some out in the lobby. That's 10 by 20 square feet. If you want to get a better visual of it, just stand on one of these carpet squares and imagine one person on every single carpet square in the entire church and then trying to play Tetris to get out of here at the end of the day. That's what we're talking about. 10 by 20 with 60 people in it, but they told us if we could raise $10,000 and give it to them, they could build a church that would house roughly 200 or 250 people in it. So we said, we can do that. We can do better than that. And so we're trusting and praying that God's going to lead us to, to do that. And there's going to be some cost associated with it. By the way, here's the pastor and his family that we're trying to raise this for. And there's going to be cost. Listen, I, I know there's going to be cost for me. I've done beans and rice before. Uh, by about day five, I was tired of it. I was ready to start fasting. Like, Lord, I'm just a holy person. I want to fast for a few days. Um, Because it gets monotonous, but that's part of identifying. There's going to be a physical cost. 
You know, my wife and I are, are trying to buy a house because it seems like it's a decent time to buy a house, but we're, we feel God calling us to give an extra gift to this India church, which will set us back on that other thing. But you know what? I'd rather build God's house and what he's doing than buy my house because I trust he's going to provide for me. And I know you guys are thinking the exact same thing. And there's going to be a time cost to cook all these beans and rice meals and then a conversation cost with our kids when they ask us why we can't go to In-N-Out tomorrow. You just tell them, go on Saturday. We'll go on Saturday. Saturday is our day. But the payoff's going to be incredible. We're going to identify, we're going to pray, and we're going to raise money to build a church. It's going to be absolutely amazing. So then next Sunday, we're going to come back, and we're going to hear some stories from people who have been living revolutionary lives. We're going to have some worship. We're going to have communion. We're going to take up a special offering for this church in India. And I trust that God's going to just blow the doors off as we do that. By the way, if you want to give, and you should be coming back next week, so it's going to be really a powerful time. But if you want to give and you can't be here next week, go to the website. We set up a link for you to give on the website as well, so you can do that. Anyway, back to the story. Back to the story. Mordecai responds to Esther because she responds and says, you know what? I can't go. I got a good thing going here. I don't want to die. Verse 13, Mordecai responds. He sends this reply to Esther. He says, Esther, do not imagine— that you and the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. And who knows, Esther, whether or not you have attained royalty, whether you've gotten this position, whether you are where you are for a time such as this. Before I joined the church staff, I worked at a college ministry over at Sonoma State, and I would get a group of guys each year, and I would mentor these guys. And we would just share life and talk. And like most 18 to 22-year-old old guys did, sometimes they tried to feed me a line. And uh, their lines were really funny, like really, really funny. And whenever they fed me a line, I would just look them in the face and say, you are full of malarkey. I, with other, you know, I can't believe you would actually even say that to me. Like one time I had a guy at a discipleship group. We're talking about women because when you're 18 to 22, you talk about God, you talk about women. That's kind of what you talk about. Uh, and I, this one guy looks at me straight in the face. He says, Kevin, when I look a woman up and down, I'm just checking to see if she has good birthing hips. And I said, are, are you kidding me right now? He's like, no, I'm totally serious. Straight face. I said, you are so full of it. I can't even believe you just tried to pull that with me. I know exactly why you're looking at her. Don't say that. So I began to have this reputation of when guys said ridiculous things, I would just kind of lay it down. And they said, Kevin, you pull the conviction card out whenever we say dumb stuff. And so whenever I got ready to say something to these guys, they'd like get their hands ready with the conviction card. And then when I said it, they'd like pull it out. So I would. Like, sometimes the guys would say, I can't come to my life group tonight because I've got too much homework to do. But then they'd tell me that they played Xbox all afternoon long. So I'd be like, conviction card, that's for you. Have it. Take it with you. I want you to feel some conviction here. You're really going to skip Bible study because you played Xbox all day long? Which, by the way, I've heard some of your excuses for not joining life groups. Uh, and I've been tempted, but it just stays in my pocket sometimes. But you might get one this fall. Just so you know, I'm just warning you. You might get one this fall. Well, Mordecai pulls out the ultimate conviction card to Esther. He says, here's the truth, Esther. God can do what he wants through someone else. He doesn't need you. So go ahead and have that. That's for you. If you don't do this, you will miss out on something amazing. Go ahead. That's for you. And you will die having missed your opportunity to take part in God's story. So here, I have the ultimate conviction card. That's for you. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, Esther. I can't believe you're not going to do this right now. And Esther gets it. She gets it. She says, oh, boy, that's not good. Because he says, listen, you're here for this. Have you ever wondered why are you here? 
Why were you born to those parents? Why do you have those kids or that marriage, that education? Why do you live in Petaluma? Why do you have that job, that much money, that much vacation time, whatever it is, these gifts, these passions? Could it be that you were created for a time such as this to be part of what God's doing in the church, in the city, and around the world, and you're just sitting on it? Could it be that God wants to say, listen, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, but I want to do it through you. I want to do it through new life. I'm going to build my church in southern India, but you know what? I would like to build it through new life, so I'm giving you first chance. Here's your window. Will you open it, and will you go through? In verse 15, Esther told them, reply to Mordecai and say this, go and assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. That means basically don't eat or drink for three days, night and day. And I and my maidens will also fast in the same way. And thus I'm going to go to the king, which is not according to the law. So I want you to remember that. And if I perish, if I die, then I die. So Mordecai went away and did just what Esther had commanded him to do. He grabbed the other Jewish people in the community and he began to fast and he began to pray because here's the truth. When God begins to use us to write his story, we need to be in prayer. We need to pray a lot. We need to pray big prayers. We need to pray servolutionary prayers like I talked about a few weeks ago. Prayers that say, God, I want what you want more than I want what I want because what you want is amazing. And then we need to surround ourselves with a community. She gathered the Jews together so that they could pray, because we need to be around other people who are on this journey with us. That's why we trumpet over and over again, join a life group, join a life group, join a life group. Life groups meet for 12 weeks. There are people who are on the journey with you. You can ask questions, you can talk, you can pray. And listen, I know there's excuses and reasons why not to join a life group, but this fall, you might get one of these if you try to give me one, because I believe there's no better thing you could do this fall than to join a life group, because life groups are the place where we get the support from the people who are on the journey with us. Two weeks from today, we're going to have our life group promotion month that starts, and we'll have a whole host of life groups that you can pick from. I want to challenge you. Join a life group. Every single person on Sunday night, I want us to just join a life group. I know there's reasons why it's tough. Just join a life group. And go talk to another pastor if you don't want to join a life group, because you know what you're going to get from me. One of these. I got them ready. All right, chapter 15 says this. It came about on the third day after this prayer and fasting with her community— that Esther put on the royal robes and stood at the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's rooms. And the king was sitting in his royal throne at the throne room opposite the entrance of the palace. And Esther knocked. And when the king saw Esther, the queen, standing at the court, she obtained favor in his sight. And the king extended his scepter, which was in his hand. And Esther came near, and she touched the top of the scepter, and she knew she was going to live. And then the king said to her, "'What is troubling you, Queen Esther?' And what's your request? Even up to half the kingdom, and it shall be given to you. Friends, there is no way that Esther should have gotten in to see the queen, the king. No way. She should have been dead at the door. She should have started another queen's search. But God showed up. Because she said, I'm going to get in line with God's story. And God began to do miracles all around her. They prayed and they fasted and they gathered in community and God did a miracle. And when you and I decide that we're going to take an active role in God's story, God will begin to do miraculous things in and through us too. That's just the way God works. But God doesn't do miracles when we're sitting on the sidelines doing it ourselves. He only does miracles when we step out and say, I can only do this through your power. So here's how the story ends. She tells the king about Haman's plot. Haman and his family are destroyed. A genocide is averted. The people survive, and her story is still told and celebrated around the world by the Jewish community today, and it's written in the pages of the Bible. 
because she took God at his word. She's got a story that is worth retelling. And just like Esther, you have a story. It's a story that's being written every day. And here's a question I want to ask as we get ready to wrap up tonight. Who is writing your story? Are you writing it or is God writing it? Who's writing your story? Because you are writing a story right now. 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years, you are writing a story. Who's writing the story today? You or God? And here's how you can tell who's writing your story. What's on your bucket list? What's on your bucket list reveals who's writing your story. We've all got them. We've all got a list of things we want to do before we die. I know a lot of the things on your bucket list, probably. Good job, good family, good kids, good marriage, good lunch with Pastor Kevin where I pay. Now, that's, that's my bucket list for you, but you can stick that on there. A good house, nice friends. Those are all great things, great things. I want a good house for you. I want a good job for you. I want a good marriage for you. I want great kids for you. I want you to have a wonderful lunch with Pastor Kevin where you pay. I want these things for you. But I don't think they're quite big enough if God's writing our story. So let's keep those things on our list, but let's add some God-sized bucket list goals to the top. Here's some things that I think need to be on every one of our bucket lists if we're following God. And you can write these down. I threw them all up there for you. I think every Christian really should have these on our bucket list. Experiencing the complete forgiveness and salvation that God offers. I want to hear God say, well done, when I enter into heaven. I think that is a great thing to have on my bucket list. I want to be changed by God's Spirit working in my life so that I can have the kind of life that is like Jesus. I want everyone in my family to experience the joy of being on fire for God in a passionate relationship. Not just coming to church on a regular basis, not just reading the right books and saying the right things, but really in a relationship with God. I want to be used by God to make a difference in this world, not just in my family or my neighborhood, and those are great things, but in the world. By the way, I think this beans and rice thing is one step closer to God using us in the world. And then here's one. I want to go on an overseas mission trip before I die. Now that's not an exhaustive list, but those are just some things that I think every follower of Jesus should have on their bucket list. Those are God-sized bucket lists. And here's why I say we should put those at the top of our bucket list, because Jesus says this. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things that you want, the house, the kids, the job, the, the finances, the vacation— He says, I'll take care of those. All those other things will be given to you if you seek God's kingdom first. Here's a few ways you can get those things onto your bucket list. Pray, give, and go. I want us to be praying regularly that God uses us. Giving to the things that are close to God's heart around the world. The Bible says where our treasure is, our hearts will be also. And go on a mission trip. I know there are some of us in here who are scared of flying, scared of new places, scared of unique foods. Listen, let God just take care of all of that at once. Go on a mission trip. We haven't lost anybody yet, but you know what? Even if we did, even if we did, I sent a nice note to your parents. You would go in an amazing way serving God. I've got to be honest, I'd rather do that than go when I'm 92 years old and can't hear and can't taste my food. I mean, let's be honest here. Go, just Go, because God wants to write a story through you. A few ways to put this stuff into practice. On your Connect cards, 
uh, that say start here on one side and New Life Connect card on the other. There's something that says, I want to apply today's teaching by, and I want to give you a few ways to apply it because it's really clear over and over again in the Bible that information doesn't change us. Information plus application, when we put it to practice in our life, makes transformation. And I want transformation for you, and God wants transformation for you, not just information. So here's a few ways you can put this into practice so your life will be transformed. Would you regularly pray for God to make a difference through you in the world? Start this week. Start with this beans and rice challenge and say, God, how do you want to use me in the world? What do you want to do? I want to make a difference in the world. If you do that, mark it on the card and begin to pray even tonight before you go to bed. How about take the beans and rice challenge and bring a special offering this coming week? Would you be willing to do that? Many of you have already said you're going to do that. If you've already marked it on your card, you don't need to do it again. We got you. God knows. We know. We're covered. But for the rest of you who haven't decided you were going to take that challenge yet, it starts tomorrow. Don't let this opportunity pass you by. Mark it on your card and take it. The reason why I want you to mark it on your card is because I'm going to send you information about various countries around the world you can be praying for, um, things you can be praying about, praying into throughout this week. But I won't know to do that unless you mark it on your card and give me your contact information. And then would you place a mission trip on your bucket list if you've never been? Mission trips are one of the best ways to grow your faith because you're stepping out of your comfort zone. You're trying something new. You're serving God completely. I can't tell you the number of people who have come back from a mission trip and said, I just want to go back. I just want to be there. I, I experienced God in a deeper way than I ever have before. And I want that for you. That's why I'm saying to go. Sure, it can be a little scary. Sure, it's something new. But would you say you're going to do it today? If you want to put that on your bucket list, mark it down now. And by the way, if you don't want to wait 20 years to do it, we take mission trips all the time. We have one coming up in the spring of this next year to Mexico, and we're going to have somebody out at the activities hub in the lobby doing signups for it and answering questions about the Mexico trip. We've already got over 50 people who are interested in this trip. I mean, God's doing some really amazing stuff, but maybe he wants you to go on this mission trip as well to Mexico this summer. So go out to the lobby and talk to our folks at the activities hub and get signed up for it today. And then the last thing I want to talk to you about is if you're here and you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, where you said, you know what, God, I, 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 don't, I don't want just my parents' faith anymore. I don't just want church anymore. I want you. I want to tell you that's the best decision and the greatest decision you can ever make, where you just say, you know what, God, I'm all in. Here's the chips. I'm laying down the cards. I want what you want for my life. And the Bible says that when we invite God to be our leader and our savior of our life, that his spirit comes and lives in us and gives us the power to live the kind of life he called us to live. And he guides us, and it's an amazing relationship. And if you've never entered into a relationship like that, a personal, passionate, fully engaged, fully committed relationship with Jesus, I'm going to pray right now, and you're going to have an opportunity to do that. And then we're going to go into some more worship time. And then after that, when our worship's over, I want you to take these cards, and I want you to take your tithes and offerings and just drop them in the baskets on your way out and then head out to the Mexico team uh, table and find out some more information about that because God's going to do some great stuff through that team as well. But if you sense God stirring in you right now, calling you to himself, this stuff is making sense. Maybe you've been around the church. By the way, there are people who have been around the church for 30, 40 years who have never made that decision to make God their personal Lord and Savior. Maybe you've been around the church, but you've never made that decision, and tonight's your night. I'm going to pray right now, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. So why don't we all just close our eyes? And as our eyes are closed, if you sense God calling you, if you sense him stirring you, if you sense him calling you to himself in a deep way, and you've never made 
the decision to give your life to him. You can pray this simple prayer. By the way, if you're here and at one point you were following God, but you've walked away from him and you said, you know what, I don't want anything else to do with God. And now you're coming back to him. Maybe you need to recommit your life to him. You can pray this prayer with me as well. So if you sense God calling you, just pray this simple prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died on a cross and that you rose again to bring forgiveness for my sins. I believe you did that because you love me. I believe you did that because you want a relationship with me. And God, I want to have a relationship with you. So would you come and would you fill me with your spirit? Would you forgive me of the times that I have done things that I know have hurt you and hurt other people? And would you guide me on this life journey? And today I say I want to be used by you to write your story because I believe that your story is the only story ultimately worth telling. So Lord, would you come and would you guide me? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.